Hi there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. My name's Richard Byram and joining me on the line again this week as usual is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter, as regular listeners will know, is the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer. It was a busy Sunday for our teams with Castleford, Wakefield and Leeds all in charge, uh, all playing rather should I say, and it was in fact Rowan Smith's first game in charge of Salford, but I don't think it went exactly how either he or Leeds would have wanted. No, it, it didn't, Rich, no. they. Um, I think there was a lot of expectation going into the game last weekend. People were thinking that um, the new coach coming in, there'd be an instant reaction. But unfortunately, as often seems to happen with Leeds, there wasn't. Um, they The performance declined after um, a couple of wins and they, they were on They'd only lost one of their previous four games, but um, the performance was a throwback to how they'd been playing under Richard Agar earlier in the season. Um, Agar's last game was a defeat at Salford, um, and that was by 14 points, and this time they lost by 15. So it suggested no real progress has been made. That's that's probably not actually the case. Um, there were certainly positive signs under Jamie Jones-Buchanan in his six games in charge but it took them a few matches before they got a win for um, win for Jonesy so it does take time I think the new boss wants to change a lot about the way Leeds are playing he's putting an emphasis on promoting the ball and, and if players see an opportunity to go for it he's changing some of the way they defend and I think it's going to take a little while for that message to sink in Um You've got to remember that Leeds have actually had three coaches this season. Started with Richard Agar, then um, Jamie Jones Buchanan, and now Rowan Smith. So it's it's maybe no surprise that um, they're taking a little bit of time to adjust. It was a poor performance, but I don't think that says anything about um, Rowan Smith's suitability for the job or anything like that. I think um, it'll be good for him to have seen Leads in action live rather than on tape um, and in training and they'll probably have more of an idea of now of what needs to be fixed which on that evidence is, is quite a lot um, it was the old problems really there was some poor decisions made in defence on attack they made far too many errors um, didn't take the chances they created and um, when the opposition scored heads seemed to drop which has been an issue all season so that all needs working out, but um, I don't think it changes the situation too much. It puts a bit more pressure on in terms of the league table because Leeds are now only three points clear of Toulouse and they'll go back to second bottom in the table if they lose to Wakefield this Friday. But um, in the overall scheme of things, it's a it's a long-term job and I think people have to realise it. it's not going to be fixed overnight. Rowan Smith's going to need a lot of time to get his ideas across. I think we'll only really see what he's capable of next year when he's had a full pre-season under his belt. Obviously, he needs to make sure that next season he's in Super League and they'll have to pick up some wins pretty soon to do that. But, um, yeah, the, I, I don't think we can we can say we learned too much about um, what the new regime is going to be like going forward from, um, from Sunday's game. Unfortunately, it was good to see some players come back. Um, Richie Myler, Zach Hardacre, both back in along with Zane Tetavano. 
and um, James Bentley. I thought it was good to see Sam Waters get an opportunity off the bench. Um, he's somebody that's been on the fringe of the team for the past couple of seasons, but obviously Rowan Smith had seen enough in training and on tapes to, to think he was worth um, throwing in there. It, those players had all been out for a long time and it was going to take a while for them to get back up to match fitness as well. I think David Fossey too was another one. Um, so I think there are reasons why Leeds lost and why Leeds didn't play well um, at the weekend. But we'll certainly want to see a better performance against Wakefield on Friday. Yeah, that's shaping up into into being a really big game, isn't it? I, I saw some of the high, well, I saw all the highlights of the Leeds game and uh, to get off to a poor start, say the ties were well worked, or you know, the Leeds defending was pretty poor as well. There was nothing scintillating about them, really, was there? It was clean passes down the line, and uh, particularly the second one, Burgess had a free run to the line. And uh, you know, I think because it was Salford, and as we've said on here a few times, uh, Leeds always seem to have a bit of a sign over Salford, don't they? The, the one team that they seem to be able to guaranteed to win although that particular run even seems to have ended in recent times and uh, you know I, I did fancy Leeds we said last week that we thought new coach coming in and time to work with them in the short term it sh- should hopefully produce some results so it was a bit of a surprise then when I saw that evening that they'd lost but you know read obviously your report and uh, fair comment really on, on the highlights I saw you know that they they didn't really get going at all. and 169 points scored all season probably tells the tale in itself. Once they, once they go behind, as you've suggested, they don't really have a way yet of opening up uh, teams. And I suppose with Aidan Caesar being injured and others having to fill in and Richie Myler's been out, he's another creative player, isn't he? That you can understand why, but hopefully now over the next month or so, they've, they've no real distractions now. They can just crack on and start playing the Rowan Smith way? They've got... um, I think Smith's got some decisions to make when he names his team for the... um, or before he names his team for the Wakefield game. He went with Richie Myler coming back at um, fullback against Salford and Zach Hardacre in the centres and continued with Cruz Leeming at half because, obviously, um, Aidan Caesar's out... They don't have any other specialist halfbacks to play alongside um, Blake Austin, other than the young kid, um, Jack Sinfield, who was 18th man. Um, I wonder this week whether he'll be tempted to move Hardacre to fullback uh, or possibly Jack Broadbent and um, go with Myler in the in the halves. Then he could move Leeming back to hooker, which is his natural position and where he's more suited, and bring Brantouar off the bench as an impact player rather than him playing the full 80 minutes. So that's something he could do to to change things around a little bit. Um, it's a it's a tricky decision, isn't it? I think Myler's best position for Leeds is at fullback, yeah. but um, Leeming's best position is um, is at um, is at hooker. So the other alternative is possibly to to leave Myler at fullback um, and Hardacre in the centres and bring Jack Sinfield back in. He won't let anyone down. He hasn't done in his uh, handful of games so far. Um, He's well respected by the squad and he's obviously a a huge talent 
for the future. But he's only 17, and I, I don't think Leeds want to put too much pressure on um, on a young kid at that age. Um, so it will be really interesting to see what, um, what Rowan Smith does this week. I don't know whether he'll, he'll particularly want to make big changes to his lineup in only his second game. Um, but clearly, they need to find a way of playing better than they did on um, on Sunday. And what, is, as we both said, is a, a crucial game because if Leeds lose, they'll be um, they'll be right back in the uh, in the relegation mire. Um, and with Toulouse picking up points against Wakefield, um, there isn't much margin for error. I think Toulouse will win, as I've said before, or win some home games this season in the, the heat of the south of France. I don't think they'll win many away, but they will win games at home, so Leeds have got to pick up points. Um, but, I mean, obviously Wakefield will be thinking the same thing. They're just a point behind Leeds now in second from bottom. Um, on a long losing run, but they'll see this as an opportunity to um, to get back to winning ways. Um, I think they'll feel relatively confident. Le- Leeds were 30 nil up at half time in the game at Wakefield back in March, but the second half, when once Wakefield had sort of come to terms with what Leeds were throwing at them, um, Wakefield won the second half. So I'll I think they'll feel that if they can play like that for the full eighty, they've got the um, They've got the ability to beat Leeds. So I think it's going to be a fascinating and very tense encounter. Yeah, from my point of view, obviously, I hope that Wakefield can stop the rot. And again, as we've said on here a few times, Wakey are always capable of pulling off an unexpected result against the more leading lights in the division, shall we say. And uh, the way it's been going in recent weeks, they really do need to uh, arrest this slide as you have said several times on here, fancy to lose to win some games at home um, with with the advantage of the heat and not having to travel. And, you know, I, I would expect them to give several of the teams, uh, you know, down, a good game down there and, and they'll be targeting specific games, I would imagine, against certain teams as they would have done against Wakefield on Sunday to think this is a real opportunity to get a victory. I was speaking to somebody who was at the game and you know, he said the heat probably did play a factor. Obviously, it was very hot down there and certainly a lot hotter than it had been in Wakefield over the previous week. And uh, you know, he felt Wakefield were beaten up front, really. You know, it didn't feel they had enough strength in the pack. They were rolled off the ball too easily and, and no real go forward. And, uh, you know, he, he was fairly disappointed with how they played and a bit downbeat for the rest of the season as well um, you know obviously hoping that they can beat Leeds one of Wakey's arch rivals of course but uh, it's, it's it's difficult times at the moment at Wakefield uh, you kind of every year we, we talk about them defying the odds and staying up or you know getting as much value as possible out, out of their squad given their, their budget compared to some of the other teams in the competition. But in the end, things like that do catch up with you. And uh, I just hope that they can, get likewise, probably at home, pick up enough wins just to keep themselves clear of Toulouse in particular. I don't think in the longer term Leeds will be an issue and teams like Salford and, and Wakey, maybe to a lesser degree Huddersfield and so on, you know, they always all beat each other during the course of the season, don't they? And, you know, and Hull KI you could probably include in that group as well because they seem to have gone on a bit of a slump 
and, and Warrington even, uh, Daryl Powell's side of, are not pulling up anything this season at all, are they really? They've got another heavy defeat themselves in France at the weekend. So, you know, there's there's lots of teams in, in and around and in the mix there down at the bottom. And uh, it's crucial that really Wakefield win at Leeds. If, and if not, then start picking up some points at home as soon as possible. Um, I think I still think Wakey will be all right. I think I think they've got enough wins in them to um, to get away from the foot of the table. We've said this before. When when Wakefield get a win, they tend to to get two or three wins. True. Yes, true. Um, and ditto defeats. So they're, they're not a team that wins one loses one, and haven't been for a few seasons. So I think once they once they break this losing run, that they'll pick up a few more victories, and and I I think they'll be okay. I still think, although as I say, I, I expect them to win some some games at home. I still think to lose are probably favourites to go down. That they're, they're um they've probably got the weakest squad in Super League. Obviously, they lost some key players just before the season started. They are starting to to bring in some big name recruits. But I, I still think if you had to to bet your last fifty p on who'd go down, it would probably it would probably be Toulouse. But um, I don't think that means the other teams can be complacent, no. though, because they've they've got problems themselves. There's a lot of teams struggling at the moment. Obviously, we know all about Leeds and Wakey, but as you mentioned, um, Warrington have been really poor this season. Yes, um, they won't go down, but they're they're having a a poor year and Hull KR have scored four points in the last three matches they've been nilled twice and they got just the uh, the one try in the cup semi-final against Huddersfield and and they look like they're sinking um, sinking like a stone yeah. at the moment so you know they, they might be vulnerable if, if they don't pick up some results soon and um, and get some players back from injury because there's obviously um, the coach is leaving at the end of the season it appears from the outside that that's had a, an effect on the way the team are playing because they've been they've been very poor in the last few matches. But they're also losing key key players, um, and and it's going to be difficult for them to recover. I think they've probably got enough points to be safe and enough more wins in them. But um, they're going to have to turn things around pretty quickly as well. They look a very demoralised outfit. At the moment, um, beaten heavily, beaten and nilled by Castleford last weekend. So, yeah, there's a lot of teams, um, a lot of teams that did okay last season, really struggling to find their form at the moment. And it's probably the bottom of the table is is probably of more interest than what's going on. Yeah, up on the top as things stand at the moment. Yeah, it's a fair point there. Um... Just before I go on to speak about Hulk KR myself, I just wanted to say that uh, what Mark had said about Toulouse itself was that it was a really good trip and, um, you know, the fans had enjoyed it. He said there wasn't a huge number of home fans, but the ones who were there were very passionate and diehards, as he de- described mm-hmm. them. But he said they were made to feel very welcome and there was a band on and, you know, they had a drink with uh, some of the uh, Players obviously came over to see the fans, and and obviously they had a, some a drink with the locals as well, and 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 said it was a really you know an enjoyable experience and a, a trip they would recommend if anyone listening was thinking 
of following their team there maybe later in the season. Obviously, be aware of the heat. Um, you know, that obviously a lot hotter down there even at this time of the year than it is around here. Um, but, you know, he said an enjoyable trip over, overall. Um, he didn't know whether that had been a factor in Wakey's performance as well, the, the fact that he was kind of all done in a day. Um, I don't know whether that helps teams as such, but that, that that's how it is, isn't it, for for everybody really. You know, they're, they're getting up, flying down, playing the game, flying back, has got to keep the costs down and... You know, it's the same for everybody. Um, Hull KR-wise, uh, our colleague Mark Absalon, who you know is a, a big Hull KR fan, he he couldn't get tickets for his other team, which is Brighton and Hove Albion at Ellen Road on Sunday, and he was telling me he went to watch Hull KR instead. And you know, again, he was, goes without saying, really disappointed with how they played and said the fans were, you know, were really... <laughs> Fed up. It's a pretty bored, really. You know, but you know, by half time the game had gone, and Hull KR didn't look like they were coming back, and uh, obviously didn't. Uh, just wondering, really, if it carries on like that. How, given that Tony said he is going to leave, you know, will he see it out till the end of the season, or will they just say, well, you know, go now, and somebody else can caretaker us through to to the new campaign when Willie Peters comes in. But certainly in the last few weeks, they've they've completely lost their way, haven't they? I mean, uh, I saw Castleford's uh, tries, and they, they scored some nice tries. You know, uh, Jake Mamo, a player who's really caught my eye this season, he scored another couple of tries, including a, a nice interception and lengthy break. Jason Gary Gary, uh, one for the Wingers Union, he looks a real talent, that lad. A teenager, Looks to be playing well beyond his years, and he's scored some superb tries already in his fledgling career. And he scored a couple of nice ones again on Sunday. And another player who's caught my eye recently at Cass as well, Kenny Edwards, who left Huddersfield under a bit of a cloud at the end of last season. I think he's had a lengthy ban as well, didn't he, before he left? But uh, this season, he again, you know, he's he's like a forward playing center isn't he he's very versatile and very quick on his feet and again he he stepped in and out against Tolkien and, and was gone over the line and you know you know obviously knuckled down there at Cass and, and showing the the quality player that he is i don't think that was ever in any doubt but obviously had a few issues down the years off the field and uh, you know but this time at Cass He's obviously settled in. He's in an environment that he's enjoying. Lee Radford's getting the best out of him. And, you know, Cass looks onwards and upwards for them at the moment. Yeah, they've, they've turned things around after a, a difficult start under under Lee Radford and they're playing some good rugby. They've still got some key players missing through injury. So I think I think they've done well. I, I really like Lee Radford. He's, he's a good guy and a real character and... And someone a little bit different. I think rugby league needs characters, and um, and it's good to see him doing well at uh, at Cast. They'll have a tough game on Friday night at Salford. Um, Salford were too good for Leeds, as we've said, um, and they won at Castleford in in round one. Um, Salford got a very good back division, and the um, the halfback Brownie Croft tore Leeds apart at the weekend. But I think if Cast play the way. Um, they have been doing for most of their recent games. They had a poor performance in Catalan a couple of weeks ago. But other than that, they've been on the improve. And I, I think they'll probably win this weekend. And they should be looking at a top six finish. I'm not sure 
how much higher they can go than that because of the poor start. But um, but they're having a they're having a, a decent season, starting to find the thing under Lee Radford and, and playing some good rugby. I know some people weren't particularly thrilled about the style of rugby they thought Cast might play this season, but they signed attacking players and they're playing attacking rugby and um, and it's good to watch. Yeah, you know, say so I you know people are always quick to criticise. We we spoke, didn't we, just before about Rowan Smith and how it would take time and probably in another month if Leeds win three out of four, nobody'll remember the Salford game. And I think Lee Radford, you know, he left Hull and he was out of the game for a while and then he knew for quite a while that he was going to be replacing Darrell at Castleford. But he just had to bide his time. Uh, you know, he couldn't actually get his hands on the players and start working with them. All he could do was sit and watch and maybe look at ways he felt that he could improve or change the play when he eventually took over. And again, you know, new players coming in, some of those that were playing leaving. Uh, you know, it does take time. You know, It's very rare. Despite, I know we talk about a new manager bounce in most sports, don't we, where some, they, somebody comes in and they win three out of four and it all seems fine and dandy and then they lose three out of four and everybody's calling for that fella's head or woman's head. And, you know, I think Lee was harshly judged, I think, in his first few games and, you know, the way that Cass are playing now, uh, they're having more good results than bad. And, and as you say perfectly capable of getting into the playoffs whether they could go any further this season I don't know I suppose they would have fancied the Challenge Cup this year as their main target and obviously that's gone now but they did have a decent decent dig at it and uh, you know good for Lee you know he showed at Hull that ultimately he, he won some silverware and, and I'm sure that given time and the resources he'll do the same at Cass I think so yeah yeah um Rugby links trending at the moment on um, on Twitter um, for sad reasons. So uh, we heard today that Maurice Lindsay, who anybody who was watching rugby league in the eighties and nineties will be very well aware of, um, has died aged eighty one. Um, the RFL, in their statement, described him as one of the most influential people in the sports modern era and I'd, I'd certainly echo that um, he obviously was was from Wigan was was known as um, for his time as chief executive um, of the RFL and chairman at Wigan but he he's had a, a huge influence on the sport as a whole he was um, the driving force behind Super League and behind the switch to um, to summer rugby he played an important role in um, the Australians coming over in the early 2000s when um, it looked like a, a planned tour would fall through. Um, he persuaded them to come and that, that saved the game a lot of money at a time when finances weren't great. Um, he was um, a, probably a bit of a Marmite character, but he, he wasn't afraid um, to make tough decisions and to upset people. Um, and he. He certainly um, provided a, a a real driving force for the sport for a lot of years. He um, was at Wigan when they went from a, a team that had been struggling. They were actually relegated into the um, second division for a season um, under Morris. They went fully professional. The first team to go full-time 
when it was basically a, a semi-pro sport. Um, he signed a lot of the players that went on to become legends in the game, people like um, Sean Edwards and um, Dean Bell and Ellery Hanley, people of that calibre. And obviously Wigan went on to dominate the sport for a decade, won eight consecutive Challenge Cup finals, were, were the, more or less unbeatable for um, for a long time. And, and that was all really down to, um, down to Maurice Lindsay. Um, so now it's a, certainly the end of an era. He's been out of the sport for a while, obviously having having retired. But um, everyone of a certain age will remember Morris and and, and have opinions on on what he did, did for the code. But I think it's a sad day. Yeah, I'd, I'd never met Morris. I'll be honest. Obviously, I know who he was through through following the game, and you can't deny the achievements he had in turning Wigan round and, and on the back of that, obviously uh, he, that helped to improve the British game and the internationals when we played, you know, Wigan were well known, weren't they? But, you know, throughout this country, they, they kind of transcended rugby, didn't they? They had uh, ultimately great results against the other code as well and obviously provided a lot of good internationals and players now like Farrell and Sean Edwards, I know that in union, but, still having an influence on rugby and uh, you know as you said a, a driven man obviously determined character um, and you know perhaps we could do with a couple more Morris Lindsay's today in the game uh, who, who aren't frightened to put a few noses out of joint and you know go the extra mile for the greater good of the game um, but I was sad when somebody like that dies um, and obviously, respects to his family and friends. Yeah, I think the last time I saw him actually was um, it was at York Races when he was he was doing his bookmaking. He was obviously a bookmaker, yeah, um, as well as a, a rugby league man. But um, rugby league sort of moved a little bit in a different direction um, in terms of having people who weren't associated with one club particularly in in charge. But I think. Um, they've missed someone of the the personality really of, of Maurice Lindsay and say someone not afraid to make tough decisions and not afraid to to upset people and and to do things his way and um, yeah maybe that that is something we believe could do with now um, although there was a deal with marketing company IMG announced last week which. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what influence they have on the sport, whether they can get rugby league back up and um, more in the national consciousness and if they can bring more money into the sport because that's that's what it needs. But um, certainly in terms of, of Morris, um, I think he'll be... I think he'll, he will be remembered as one of the people who had more, um, more of an influence on, on rugby league in the... That's a part of the twentieth um, century than than probably anyone else in certainly in this country. Um, I don't know whether we'd have Super League and Summer Rugby now if it wasn't for um, wasn't for Morris. And I think the game's better off for that. I suppose there'll be people out there who say, "Well, it's not you know who'd hanker back to the the old winter rugby days." Um, but I think the game's in a better state now, and um, and a lot of that is down to Morris Lindsay. Yes, 
Nice points there, Peter. Nice tribute, as, as you say. Um, maybe come back and discuss IMG at greater length one week when we know a bit more about their plans and what their intentions might be for the game or some of the ideas they might put forward in the coming weeks and whether in rugby league style they'll be accepted or rejected uh, by the great and good. But as you say with Morris, uh, my, I think the thing that sticks out for me really is, as you alluded to as well, the fact that most people who followed sport in Britain in that period knew who Morris Lindsay was and they knew who Wigan were. And, uh, you know, that was key for the game and key for drawing others in, particularly in the South, say, when Wigan were on Grand Sound. That wasn't much fun for us sitting and watching them win the Challenge Cup every year. Uh, but, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, those players became household names in both codes. Some of them swapped codes. Some of them, as we said, still work in each code now. Uh, you know, and there's a, a huge legacy all the way through there of the players that came through. Uh, you know, that are still involved in passing on their knowledge and expertise to rugby players of either code across the globe. And, you know, for that, we should be grateful for Morris. And as I said before, you know, maybe a few more Morris Lindsay's today wouldn't go amiss um, to help grow the game once again. On that note, I think, Peter, we'll call it time for this week. Thank you very much, as usual, for all your comments and insight. Um, just my weekly reminder that you can get the very latest rugby league news from Peter's Twitter feed at Peter Smith YEP and at the YEP Sports Desk and also my own at Richard Byram YEP. You can get this podcast also via the Yorkshire Evening Post website. It's attached to most rugby league stories, I believe. And obviously you can get all the latest news and views from across the world on our website, yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk. But for now, I think we'll say goodbye and we'll be back again soon.